Hello and welcome to the Open Conversation podcast. Today I'm joined by Hayley Perkins, um, who has been a therapist for years. <laughs> I've worked with uh, people with like food addictions, um, but I'm going to hand it over to her to introduce herself. Thank you, Daniel. So yes, I'm Hayley Perkins and I have been a therapist for what feels like forever, almost 18 years, but it's kind of, it's been... It's been an interesting journey, really. What you know, when I look back to 18 years ago, what I was doing, and you know, the different avenues I've gone down in terms of training. So it's been an evolution the last 18 years. So I I have had a face-to-face practice where I work with all kinds of mental health um stuff, you know, depression, anxiety. I've worked with couples, but a big passion of mine is around disordered eating. I have had such a dysfunctional relationship with food and my body for as long as I can remember. In fact, you know, my mum put me on my first diet when I think I was about 14, um, but it started a lot before then. So that is a big passion of mine. And so I have a program called If Diets Don't Work, What Does? And it's about helping people to just look at the impact of diet culture and how that um, influences a lot of how we think and feel about our food and body relationship but also like the whole attachment to food and where that all starts so yeah I've been a therapist for nearly 20 years I don't really know how that's happened and <laughs> I love it I love being able to give clients a safe space to come and explore what's going on for them and you know that's what got me started as with many therapists you know I went into therapy terrified that actually I have got a be strong driver you know I very much when I went into therapy it was I was very I was a closed book so I was terrified a of opening up I thought Mm. I wouldn't stop crying and I probably didn't for about two years um (laughs) it's just such I feel very very privileged to share that journey with people Mm. Well, a beautiful journey that you've been on, and I'm so grateful to have you here with us today. Um, when you speak about kind of safe spaces and that, it's it's funny because I truly believe that the thing that we needed the most in our childhood kind of leads us to where we are now that we're providing for other people because we we see how powerful just having that safe space is. And ultimately, like my own kind of childhood trauma was all really around not being seen and heard for who I really am. So being able to create a safe space for people now that I've been through my own therapeutic journey for the last couple of years and really feeling the the power of having that safe space to now be able to offer that to other people is just such a privilege. Absolutely. And, you know, you're absolutely right. You know, when we talk about sort of childhood trauma and stuff, we kind of think about like abuse and neglect but actually you know I share one of the stories I share quite a lot is how my mum threw away my favorite teddy bear and this was a teddy bear that I had told all my secrets to that I'd cried into that I had cuddled at night you know and it was tatty and mum had washed it endlessly and it was full of holes and I get that she threw it away because she was fed up with seeing it in that state but that was a real trauma for me I was probably about six or seven I think and it was like that whole discount of I felt so unimportant and invisible when my mum threw that away and these experiences we get and it's not about blaming our parents you know it's uh, you know they we don't come with a rule book do we and you know I've done a lot of work around understanding you know my parents and why they parented in the way that they did but you're absolutely right you know all we want as children is to be seen and to be heard and you know 
our childhood experiences, part of it is the reality of what was going on. My mum and dad both worked full time, so there wasn't a lot of time available. So thankfully, I had my nan who did have time. So I had a very my nan was such an important role model in my life because she had time for me. She showed me love. She took time to listen to me. Um, and I have very much my nan as part of my personality, thank God. Um, so when you think, when I start to think about what I offer in terms of a safe space for my clients, it's not just about, you know, the things we talk about and that safe space that we, when we look at safe space, we think about, in the environment we think about the things that we talk about but it is also about the the way in which we allow it's the relationship that we build yeah so it's the parallel process it's the unconscious things that we're teaching them Mm -hmm. through the environment that we are creating for them so I'll give you an example I'm working with a lady at the moment and she has no cognition no recollection of a healthy relationship in her life and so what we've been building over the last year as much as the work we've been doing in terms of her inner child and her outer child is we have been developing between us a really healthy relationship and that's like an unconscious thing that's going on Mm. and I will often bring her back to when she goes into that absolute that that belief that she doesn't have any healthy relationships in her life I start to help her to mirror and see the relationships that we're creating. And that is the power. That's that to me is creating a safe space for a client where you actually start to do some reparenting work. You know, as a therapist, we put on a number of different hats and I very much think about the reparenting hat, not in terms of taking control or responsibility for, but more in like more in the terms of, creating that safe space where we listen and where we give them that safe space to be seen and heard does that make sense yeah absolutely but when I think about the the therapeutic space that I create what comes to mind now in regards to a safe space is ultimately our clients pick up on the non-verbal so so ultimately, whatever's going on inside me, whatever internal conflicts I have, whatever triggers are arising for me, whatever judgments I'm predisposed to, our clients pick up on that energetically. That they, they may not be able to put it into words, that they, they may not actually fully understand what it is, but they know when something isn't safe or not. And, and this is why it's so, so important that we actually work on our own stuff. Because unless we're working on our own stuff, we can't offer a safe space because we don't feel safe in our own bodies. That's really interesting, isn't it? And you're absolutely right. When I started studying it, I studied transactional analysis psychotherapy. And you know, when you first go and do any of this work where you're whole, you're really excited about learning something new to work with your clients. And that was me. I signed up to this like seven year program at the time. It, there, it was There was implemental steps, but I thought, yeah, I'm in for the seven years. I'm going to past my uh, I'm going to be a psychotherapist I'm then going to learn how to train psychotherapists so this is how I went into this this journey and actually very very quickly what I realized is the training was not about teaching me how to work with clients it was about ripping off my own skin and prodding at what was going on for me and (laughs) absolutely in order to be um a therapist you have to have integrated all of your own shit otherwise that shows up in your sessions and it's really interesting because it's always a balance between 
recognizing what you're bringing into that therapeutic space, but also owning and honoring it and being, it's always that balance between not projecting an air of having all your shit sorted because A, I think that creates wedges between in the therapeutic process but equally I think it sets us up as therapists you know puts us on a bit of a pedestal and that's really hard to maintain that so I think it is having that awareness of when you're working with people what you're bringing in from your own life but also what they are talking about and what that's bringing up for you and I think when I think about the therapists I've worked with over the years the ones that I've really connected most with are the ones that have a real ability to be able to bring that into the therapeutic space and talk about it and that's what I that's why I'm fascinated by parallel processes you know we've got the process in terms of what we're working on that the client brings that she wants he or she wants to work on but then we've got the other the stuff that's going alongside that and I think that's really powerful when you can actually start to work with all of that stuff Mm. that's when we start to heal at a much much deeper level because this goes back to the childhood stuff where so much is not said and so much is is ignored and swept under that carpet honestly but if I could go back and look at my childhood homes it's a wonder we weren't constantly tripping up over the carpet so much swept under it. it I get it completely I think, you know, when you talk about like our own triggers and, and stuff like that, that does come up in, you know, our um, in the space that we're creating for our clients in that moment, it's, it's important that we recognize it. And also, I truly believe and I, I think that you'll agree. I, I think this is we have this same kind of belief around. I think it's important to own it and actually verbalize it and say, I'm, I'm kind of feeling a little bit of discomfort around whatever. And what that does is it there's it annihilates any form of hierarchy that the client may may feel or you know may think is going on and actually opens you up as a human being at which enables them to connect with you as a human being and see themselves as someone that's normal quote unquote what it also we all struggle with stuff what it also does is it gives them permission to do the same yeah so no I always, you know, there's, I love that word incongruence and it is used a lot nowadays, but you know, when you're working with somebody that's saying, oh, you know, you've got to find your voice, you've got to speak up and they're not actually doing that themselves. So part of that process of creating a safe space is, is you modeling the things that you are teaching or working with in that therapeutic space. And I know if I am brave Curiosity and bravery are my favorite words, by the way. If I am brave and I am reflecting or finding my voice and bringing that stuff into the therapeutic space, it gives them the confidence and permission to do the same. Yeah. So just in that, you know, we don't, we kind of get all squidgy about like, first of all, it's recognizing that shift in ourselves. Mm -hmm. The second thing is being able to verbalize it in a way that kind of doesn't feel attacking yeah and you know this is a practice isn't it it takes practice to actually learn to be comfortable doing that because for so many of us a we don't even recognize those shifts those those cues our body that that is actually giving us and secondly verbalizing that and putting that into words feels very unsafe because most of us have had experiences growing up where we've voiced how we're feeling and we've either been told off punished discounted laughed at shamed all of those experiences that we get and so 
it's a practice in itself but when we can actually step into that that whole therapeutic space becomes much more powerful because I'm a big believer it's it's that stuff yeah it's that stuff that gets the biggest shifts absolutely you know right. because it's it's the part where they actually recognize themselves as human as well because you're sharing your humanity with them some something that I, I just I want to mention I so I've had a lot of coaching and I've also had a lot of therapy I started off with coaches and initially it was my kind of it was easier for me to invest in coaching and, and see it as like I've got a coach and but as soon as I started thinking about therapy I was like I don't need therapy I don't need therapy and and what was funny was what I actually needed was therapy and what I didn't need was coaching. <laughs> don't, don't you think part of that, sorry to interrupt you, but don't you think part of that is we're so um, indoctrinated to think we need to take action, yeah, yeah, that yeah. there's a solution, that we need to fix something. And so therefore, um, that, it that would be total my, sense. my brokenness. I, I'm broken, I need fixing. So I'm going to work with a coach to fix me. And there is a degree that that does work. It's a bit like a diet, isn't it? You yeah. know, if you think weight's the problem, it makes sense to go on a diet because that's yeah, going to yeah. give you a process. I don't know if you are familiar with Dan Siegel. He's a neuroscientist. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant work around like the river of integration and how as humans, we love to live in the bank of rigidity where yeah. if somebody gives us the rules to follow, we feel really safe, but then yeah. it's our rules. So we don't like it. So we go over to the bank we of rebel. chaos. <laughs> we do rebel. So we live our lives in this believing that we're broken so therefore we need somebody that's going to give us the rules to fix ourselves but of course they're not our rules so yeah. we only stick to them for so long and we just keep going round and round that bloody cycle yeah. until we actually start to recognize that actually we're not broken there's just aspects of how we think and feel mm -hmm. that are so sculpted by how society's made us think and feel how our parents have made us think and feel that we kind of just don't know who we are anymore or what we believe to be true or what makes us happy so i'm curious what created that transition for you obviously like there's also a shitload of fear that goes along with going yeah. into therapy and ripping our skin off no one really wants to do that what was the transition for you at what point did you um recognize that coaching was actually reinforcing that cycle for you there would have been loads you'd have learned so there would have been positive elements of it definitely yeah it, otherwise we wouldn't do it but what was that point for you where you realized actually you needed to go a bit deeper for me, coaching is like a sticking plaster. It's a bit like meditation, all these lovely skills that help us. But if we've got a splinter, yeah, they're like a plaster that we put over to stop it getting infected. But it still gets infected when, yeah, unless yeah. we keep putting the plaster on. Whereas therapy kind of gets in and it takes gets us to the root out. of the wound. And it, yeah, that's how I. That's how it was when I started my psychotherapy training. That's how it was presented to me so simple yeah. and yet it made so much sense so what where did what was your turning point what did what made yeah, you it realize? was really funny so my um now fiance we've been together uh we've been together like almost five years and and when we first met she was like, I was in a really dark place I was going out all the time using drinking drugs and like just trying to escape my reality it like as much as I possibly could Anyway, when we first met, I there was this initial, like, straight away, this feeling of 
safety around her. Mm-hmm. And that was the first moment that I've ever experienced true safety. And I was like, this feels unfamiliar, but I like it. This, this, this feels right for me. Anyway, she was also in therapy and she was very open with me about um, going to therapy and what it does for her and stuff like that. And, you know, we would often speak about our sessions and and part of me was interested, but part of me was still on the, I don't need therapy. So uh, the, the more that she spoke about like her therapeutic journey and uh, over the years, like I, I could see her changing. I could see her changing from like a, an internal level rather than an external level. And and the more that she would open up and I remember this one time like we just moved. So we used to live in Suffolk, like down south, and now we live up north near kind of Blackpool area. And she started working with this new therapist that I've also worked with now. But she come back from one of her sessions. And honestly, like she was physically glowing. And she was telling me how much of an amazing session it was. And and it really opened me up. And I was like, do you think I could benefit from therapy? Mm-hmm. And it just in that moment, I don't I don't know what it was, but I was just open to it. And as, as soon as we started speaking about it, I actually became excited about it. I was like, wow, like I, I could actually start healing these parts of myself that I have so much shame around that yeah. you know it it gets me out of my head and gets me instead of trying to manage and control these parts of myself, maybe I'll actually learn to love these parts and, and integrate these parts. And it was like a few weeks later, she'd finished with that therapist. And I, I said to her, do you think I'd be able to start working with her now? And anyway, she messaged her and she was like, yeah, get, like, give Dan my number and we can set up a session. From then, that was it. I was like, this is exactly what I needed. And I, I remember my first session, I, I walked in, <laughs> I, I felt so anxious and so like, oh, this, this feels really uncomfortable. But as soon as I sat down, took a few breaths and spoke, the whole space of the session felt completely different. It wasn't someone trying to change my thoughts or get me to try and see it from another perspective. It was someone just listening to me and validating my emotions. And wow. from there, I was like, I feel so seen and heard. <laughs> Interestingly, you know, your therapy, that whole therapeutic journey started before then, you know, that whole with your meeting your partner and yeah. her being that space and her all of a sudden bringing you into a different way of doing things because yeah. you know I'm guessing there was a transition there for you around sorry that's my coffee maker get rid of if you can hear that <laughs> right. you know, there's a big shift it's like the it's it's the dissolving of the ego self isn't it? it you would have had this ego self that was very much your protector yeah. uh, that had a perception of yourself that if I fix this, if I fix this, if I fix this, then I'll be all sorted. And all then of I'll a sudden, yeah, you're in a world with somebody that's doing it a bit differently, that it's yeah. much softer. It's much more about what's going on internally than a kind of external fix, if you like. Yeah. And you trusted her. She gave you, uh, there was something from the t- moment you met her that was safe. She offered something. And that offers a different level of trust, yeah. you know, and if and also you saw the transformation in her, which is really hard. It's almost like, I want a bit of that. It's like magic. It was. Isn't it? It was it's yeah. like magic. <laughs> I, I felt so proud of her. And I was like, maybe I could feel this pride for myself. And that just like blew the lid off. <laughs> I do a lot of inner and outer child work. And the, 
you know, people talk a lot about inner child work now, but, you know, when it's, when it comes from, you know, that space that you talk about when you went in, you went into that room and your inner child, you know, that fearful place, yeah. you know, and also a bit of outer child in there that's probably like trying to get some sort of control, yeah. Yeah. you know, and it's like when you have a space where that part of you, that vulnerable little boy can actually be present and be heard and be mm. seen and be allowed to feel everything that he's feeling, yeah. that is, that's all it takes. Exactly. Yeah. It's all it takes, but helping people to see that. I always describe integration. I love that you knew, like I love that you use that word because that's the word I use. I describe it like the changing of the seasons. Mm. You don't just wake up and it's summer. You know, yeah. all of a sudden you see a little bud on the on the plot on the flowers, and you think, oh, spring's coming. And that's what integration is like. It's like all of a sudden you think, oh, I'd normally be really upset about that. And I'm not upset about that. Yeah. And all of a sudden you start finding yourself not being so triggered by things. And it's yeah, not yeah. what coaching tends to do, is it it focuses on the thing. And yeah. like you say, like yeah. if you're triggered, do this, do this, do this. But a lot of the coping mechanisms that we've that we're using are actually protection. Yeah, so exactly. if we're in a good headspace, we're in the headspace to be able to do things differently. But for most of us, we're not. We'll do it yeah. for so long. And then we diets are a great one, aren't, aren't they? You know, we do it for so long and then sooner or later we break the diet and we go around the cycle again. And every time we try it, it's like for some people, they start at nine o'clock and by eleven o'clock they've broken the yeah. they've broken it because our sensitivity, the shame we feel mm-hmm means that the the time we can stick to something gets less and less and then of course we label that as being a failure and yeah. they're the cycles that we're caught in and when you can just quieten all of that down and actually just let our feelings be present it's that's a magical space to create for someone that has been my the the, the most life-changing thing for me is actually recognizing that no part of me is broken every single part of me makes sense and is completely valid based on my childhood and my past experiences all of it makes sense and as soon as I started to relate to I I called him little Dan as soon as I started to relate to little Dan my whole life changed because I, I knew exactly what little Dan was trying to do for us I knew why he was trying to do it and it suddenly made sense and that enabled me to drop the judgment and actually build yeah. compassion and and a lot of gratitude because a, a lot of the early coping mechanisms and adaptations have actually served me up until this point and it, yeah it, it's, it's just now about recognizing that they've served me up until this point but now I get to unlearn and be the parent that little Dan needed absolutely and, and everything did- changed as a result of that resistance along the way and that's the outer child the outer child wants you to stay stuck in those old patterns and it's like you know this is where change some things will integrate and change quite quickly but most of the like there still be that desire to engage in whatever the behavior is or yeah. whatever some feelings are but it's a process isn't it and yeah. once you actually make that that recognition that there is that part of you that that needs you to show up for them to be the parent that you didn't have for whatever reason you know parenting reparenting is a really interesting process and that's taking this back to like what we're talking about in the group that's what I try to create in the therapeutic environment which I think is so so powerful you know and I, I it 
there is there's so much I think people come into the therapeutic space there is a degree there is a degree that they want you to fix them. They think that yeah. as, you, as a therapist, you're going to th- fix them. Yeah. Um, and I think when I first started, I kind of bought into that little bit as well. And I nearly burnt myself out quite a few times because I did try to fix everybody. Yeah. Um, I, I actually... recognise those parts in me now. You know, someone comes to me with something and I've, I have to find, I find it really hard sometimes not to buy into their brokenness and, and want to fix them. And it's, it's rec- like you said earlier, it's recognising that part in myself. Yeah, and I think there will always be the very reason we do the work is yeah. because of our past experiences and how we we know that things can be different and we want that for people. Yeah, you know, and I, I hope that part of me never goes. Actually, I've just had to learn to to drive it in a way that supports me, not that yeah. that like tires me out. Um, you know, it's interesting. I was diagnosed with an autoimmune condition back. When I was 39, so 12 years ago, and um, one of the things I sort of sat with for a while was asking myself, you know, why I had that and why I had fibromyalgia, you know, and it doesn't take a rocket science to work out, you know, why I had these conditions. You know, I'm not, I've abused my body similar to you, you know, I've used food, I've used alcohol, I've used drugs, I've used sex, I've used all of those things that you know are in the moment make me feel good and gave me confidence and all of that thing but ultimately just reinforced those beliefs about myself that I was unlovable and you know and I step back now and when if I'd have told that story probably even six or seven years ago I just still felt a lot of shame around it and I don't as I'm talking I feel warmth running through me because I've done that I can talk about this stuff in a way that is not in a way to shame myself and you're not Um, overly identified with it yeah you know it's it's fascinating i i also have an autoimmune i've got celiac disease okay um and it it again it makes complete sense like my body is saying no because i couldn't make a wonderful book because i know you're a fan Uh, when the body says no for anyone listening to this if you haven't it's quite a heavy read it's kind of it's all it's all it it uses a lot of research and I love that I love I love a bit of woo but I like it backed up by research that's how my brain likes to work and it is fascinating and they've done some brilliant research around Mm. um, the connection between how our emotional trauma influences and how it manifests physically Um, this is what I love because the the medical industry is hell-bent on disconnecting the mind from the body and it, it, is. it isn't disconnect it's it's connected the it's mind and the body are connected so as you say you know all our emotions every single time we suppress them and every single time that we say yes when we want to say no we're going against ourselves we're abandoning ourselves and and Absolutely. these are all the things that I've really started to learn in my own therapeutic journey you know being able to actually find my own voice we're taught to think and not feel and we are yeah. ultimately feeling beings yeah you know but we're taught to think as children aren't we we're yeah. you know which you know there's always it's never black and white there's always a balance of everything but we're very taught to not feel yeah you know and it's almost praised you know when I look at my own disordered food relationship you know it started when I was you know my mum bless her heart she was 17 when she had my sister so she was a very young mum and she would put me at the bottom of the garden when I cried I think there was someone called Gina Ford or someone back in the 70s who you know was the guru in how to like bring up healthy children and that was her advice 
like stick your kid at the bottom of the garden if she's crying and don't go to her. You know, it's no wonder I grew up not expressing how I felt because what's the point? Nobody comes. And of course, mum then, she struggled to show us love. So she would do it through food. So I remember sitting there eating all the food that mum was giving me because I was the good girl getting fatter and fatter. And my sister was really fussy. So I got praised, but also my sister got told off. So it was a double whammy. And, you know, this is how, you know, this is the beauty of when you start, you know, I I can remember being at a networking event. Sorry, I'm sidetracking a little bit. And there there was a hypnotherapist there. It was a fun, interesting chat. And I remember him (laughs) basically discounting the value in us revisiting our childhood and talking Mm -hmm. about it. And I kind of like I got into a bit of a healthy discussion about it. And uh, I sort of said, let's agree to, to disagree on that one. And, you know, it's so powerful to make those connections. It's not about going back to the trauma and reliving the trauma, but it is about unpicking and unraveling where some of this stuff stuff comes from. And I can really with clarity see why not just my relationship with food but my relationships generally were were like they were Mm -hmm. my self-worth and I think they're part like it's like a jigsaw puzzle isn't it and the more we can start to like gather up these pieces of information without judging them and without labeling them but to help understand who we are and why we think and feel in the way that we do. And like you said earlier, you know, actually when we do that, we can actually start to go bloody hell, my inner child's bloody resilient and pretty awesome. Yeah, and yeah. Not only has it like helped me survive, it, it has helped me thrive, but actually I'm now 51 and I don't still need to be doing that shit anymore. Yeah. And but that that's the that's why it's so so important. Like I absolutely love that part of me now. I like you say, I, I love, you know how resilient little Dan was and how like strong and protective he was of us. But, and you know, when I realized that a lot of these coping mechanisms and coping strategies were actually no longer serving me, that's when, you know, I I was able to actually start building compassion for little Dan rather than, because what I found was, especially, I don't know, five or six years ago when I hadn't really done this kind of deep inner work, what I was doing was seeing everything in the moment as, you know, why does this keep happening? Like, why why am I this way? And like judging myself. And as you say, like, this is why it's funny what that hypnotherapist was saying. Like, until I was actually going back into my childhood, I couldn't understand why things were playing out, how they were playing out. I I had, I, I wasn't conscious of it. So all I had was these self judgments that were actually causing me more pain and suffering in the present and then what you're being told is if you do a bit of journaling or if you do a bit of meditation yeah. or if you, um if you kick those thoughts to the curb or if you know all that language that people yeah use, yeah which you know what in the moment they do offer some soothing you know so we kind of buy into so, them, so does alcohol <laughs> exactly you know so we just keep staying in the same cycle just in a slightly different way yeah and you're right you know it's it's only when we have we have bravery and curiosity and we can actually start to peep behind that curtain but Mm -hmm. in a way that's not about I mean a big thing for me when I started to when I first went into therapy I really struggled with loyalty I felt really like I was betraying my parents my mum and dad I had a good upbringing you know you know they they provided practically they weren't great at the emotional stuff but they you know that's how it was it wasn't they weren't choosing to just be mean to me they just weren't available and I think 
anyone who grew up in the 70s and 80s probably had the same sort of thing. It'd be int- I'm fascinated to see what like the later generations are gonna the, yeah. they're gonna have another. It's just gonna be the same shit, just a bit different, isn't it? And I'm oh, really yeah. fascinated Definitely. to see how generations play out. Sorry, my 51 year old brain is like it goes. I completely lose my train of thought. It's that so, so, uh, I forget what I was saying. Honestly, I was doing. I bet you're the same. You just got yeah. so much want to say that you forget what train of thread you was on. I know. Yeah, I, that's my so fibro brain and my menopausal brain. You've got no. I think we've been doing. We've been talking for 30 minutes, and it's the first time. It's first time it's happened, so we've been doing well. Exactly. Yeah. So some. <laughs> this is funny because I can only have a couple of tabs open at once. As, as soon as I open up three or four, that's it. I lose it all. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, thankfully, my most of the people I work with are sort of menopausal women, so they can clear. Our conversations are really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, no, it's fascinating stuff. And how has that, um, how has it influenced how you're working with clients now? It's, do you know what it's done? it's enabled me to drop the Hmm. I need to know. Yeah. It's enabled me to drop that because when I, when I was a coach, I thought I needed to know the answers. Someone that's a huge pressure, isn't it? Because you, you only have, you don't have that responsibility. You don't have that control over that person. No. And also it's one size doesn't fit all. No. You know, and it's it when you start to look at like if you're growing a coaching business, the percentage that actually come out the other end and have done the work, that's one thing. But you know, I'm always fascinated by the ones that aren't and what that's about. And this is part of the customer journey, isn't it? It's like one size doesn't fit all. You know, we have to get to know that person, not make assumptions that actually if you do this, this, and this, because all we're doing then is creating another unhealthy parent-child relationship. Yeah. And they're just going to feel unsafe again. And then they're just going to shame themselves. Yeah, it's either they've not done it or it's not worked. The program's not worked. And then they're not good enough because they can do it. You know, there's, I mean, we could talk about this forever. But there's a lot of um, practices and methodologies in coaching that I'm really not aligned with anymore. And kind of ashamed to say that I was to some degree. (laughs) Well, you know, we were talking earlier, weren't we, before you pressed record Mm -hmm. and, you know, absolutely. You know, when I go back sort of 12 years, I used to run a a lighter life program, which was meal replacements. So Mm. it was all about like quick weight loss and I cringe it now. But, you know, at the time it was, you know, I was an ethic, I was ethical within what I was doing. And I was drawn to that program because of the therapy and the counselling and there was just nothing available. But as I started to work with, um, with clients and I started to retrain and really start to understand the psychology of eating mm. that was no longer aligned with me and it's the same with you 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 did the work you did with good intention yeah. but as you're, you've deepened your own therapeutic mm. experience and your training and your reading and your upping your knowledge that that transition has happened and that's the same with clients isn't it that's that journey that's why we're not broken we're just evolving and learning and experiencing and when I I position myself as a therapist I use my experience and learning to help others to do the same Mm. I can't change them I can influence yeah 
that environment in which they're in, but I ultimately can't do the work for them. Yeah. Albeit I want to. Yeah, I I, I get it. I get I get it. I do. What what I've come to realize is and it's only recognizing how powerful this has been in my own kind of therapeutic journey is what what most of us really need in fact you know what i'm going to state a, a very bold claim what we all need is actually someone being fully present with us so we're seen and heard full stop yep because we we can figure, we, we figure that one, yeah we, we figure things out for ourselves when we have that presence and the safety to be able to and when you look at society and the instant gratification society that we are hurtling more and more towards, you know, when you start looking at the human need of connection to mm. others, and connection to the wider audience, you know, that's we are more connected than ever, aren't we? In terms yeah. of even, you know, you're up in Blackpool, I'm down in Stamford and we can talk like this is which is wonderful. Yeah. But actually. It does. It does fulfill a need, but it's not in the way that we need that fulfilling as as humans. And we're losing that, aren't we? So yeah. this is why I'm fascinated to see the last 20 years, the last 10 years of really where the Internet has uh, has, mm. has taken hold, how that's going to play out in terms yeah. of people's mental and emotional well-being. Yeah, definitely. It's You know, we okay. need hugs. Yeah, we but that's what we need we, we do we need that physical touch we we need to you know be able to pick up on someone's energy to, who's sat across from us you know we, we we need that humanness and and we're losing it the basic and you know when i when i work within a child with clients and they kind of they think that the solution is like they've got to be doing this and doing that which takes time which takes money mm. actually the the, the most powerful thing that sometimes is all we need when you think about children is that physical touch or that stopping and creating some quiet time mm -hmm. and actually just taking some deep breaths. You know, how it's free, it doesn't yeah. take any time and it's so powerful, but we don't do it. No, no. We don't do it because for an, my experience of silence, my mum bless her that's how she punished us she wouldn't talk to us she'd like go silent for days like I'm talking when I'm four or five years old it was mm. my anxious attachment very much came from my mum not talking to us and so when I started to practice silence you can imagine it was hell yeah, it just yeah. kept dragging up that fear Feeling and that anxiety yeah mm. so I had to like really do it a step at a time and this is where 